Welcome to the Never Stop Getting It podcast, where we take your mind out of reality and have a little fun with life. Here's your hosts, Steve Giroux, Scott Bailey, and John Osimo. Everybody, welcome to the Middle Installment and Never Stop Getting a Podcast. Today we get a special guest. It's going to be a great one, but before we get into it, John Scott, how are you guys doing? I'm doing more than excited right now because we have a special guest on today, and it's a beautiful day out here in uh, New England, in Massachusetts. Uh, we've had some pretty bad weather, so for us to be outside right now in a gorgeous day like this, you can't beat it, especially when we have... A great show for you all today. So, Scott, how you doing? Uh, uh, you stole my my introduction because I was going to uh, talk about the outside. So I'm just going to poke fun at you, and <laughs> you, you're doing more than excited. He did uh, say y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets in the country now. He has to turn southern. <laughs> yeah. There's like two chickens over here. Now all of a sudden you got a southern draw. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Let's let's get into it. I'm excited. We're here with a special guest. So Steve's gonna, uh, well, actually, he's gonna just jump right in. Yeah, jump so. right. In. Well, we have BJ Williams. I mean, BJ Williams is the guy that ran seven marathons, seven days on seven different continents, and he's here on our podcast today. So, without further ado, BJ, how you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Fantastic. So, uh, I really want to know why. How'd you get into this? Why'd you want to do something like that? But early days, what happened? Um, so running isn't. A sport that I ever thought that I'd enjoy or or take part in. Uh, my my dreams were always to play professional hockey. Uh, I grew up in Long Meadow, so Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rollerbladed to school every day. I played street hockey every day with neighbors. Hockey was my dream. Uh, I got the chance to go to high school up at the National Sports Academy in Lake Placid, New York. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a, a pretty much an, an Olympic high school. Uh, we had a lot of different um, students in my school that were skiers, bobsledders, losers. Hockey players, the men's and, and uh, female team, and it was designed really about student athletes. We'd be up early, we'd be on the rink, we'd be down in the locker rooms, and then training. So it was a lot of dry land training on top of being on the ice. We'd go to school roughly about twelve thirty to five every day. Uh, nighttime would be partially studying in school, uh, something I never enjoyed. <laughs> and we do that during the season, Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'd be traveling for games all around the country. Um, a lot of the students would be participating in the World Cup events. So it was really eye-opening um, and to be on the the Maryland Ice rink. I graduated high school. I wanted to continue playing hockey. So I played junior hockey for a couple of years. And before I could really decide and see what direction hockey could go in. I was involved in a car crash in the Mass Pike. Um, I was left with a traumatic brain injury, loss of smell, loss of taste. Uh, I'm still partially deaf in my right ear. Um, and it was a pretty much like climbing Everest barefoot every single day for probably the next two years after that. Um, I got into Salem State. I knew the hockey coach there, Coach O'Neill. Um, an amazing coach, an amazing person that I got to meet growing up. And so he allowed me to, to get into school within a month before school started. Um, he had hopes that I'd play hockey. When I was at school, I went through every up and down, depression, anxiety, wanting to quit, wanting to give up. And it was late, I'd say say morning, probably around 3 a.m. I was watching HBO and I saw the story about Dick and Rick Hoyt. And I was in shock. I said, I've, I've been to Boston Marathons. I've never seen them. I, I don't, I've never heard of these individuals. And I saw their story and just something inside me was sparked. The next day I woke up, 
And being that oh, I've played such high level of, of hockey, I've played over in Italy for Team USA. I I can I can run. So I signed up for the Hyannis Marathon, and I gave myself about a month to train. Went out to the Hyannis Marathon, ran a half marathon. Um, I finished. I don't think I could walk for about three weeks after, but something in me was hooked. It was the desire of partaking in something that I I wasn't good at, something I sucked at. Hockey was more of a something I was gifted at, mm. so it wouldn't sometimes take a lot to show up to be in practice. And and I took things for granted, but when I ran, I had to put effort in. I had to train and I had to do something to push myself because if I didn't, I I wasn't getting any better. Um, And so that's what really got me into the running um, and really being part of Team Hoyt um, was the whole start to everything. Um, And that's kind of where it led me in that journey. That's awesome. So, You've done several, several marathons, of course. I'm sure you had great success at them. I'm just finishing. It's a great success. But the 777, what made you want to do that? And what was the training like to do that? So the 777, when I first heard of it, uh, Becca Peasy from Belmont, Mass. took part in it. And she she's won it twice. She's also a member of Team Hoyt New England. So I got the chance to meet her um years ago and I met her the first time right after the first year she finished and it was amazing just seeing the story of it of holy, holy crap you actually ran all these marathons so we we did races I kept running into her and she always threw out you should do it you should do it and it, it's just been something that I knew I had to do something to repay Dick and Rick for what they did to me um I was at the lowest of lows in my life of literally on a dead end with no outlook nothing in front of me and just because of them they their story literally changed my life. It saved me. So I sat down with, with Dick and Kathy one day, we were at lunch after they went to visit Rick and uh, we were in Leicester and I sat down and I was like, Dick, I really want to do something to repay what you and Rick have done for me. And so he kind of looked at me like, okay, well, what are you thinking about a race or something? I was like, no, I want to do something worldwide. And so we started talking and the idea was thrown out of, well, Becca just finished again, two years ago, doing another seven, seven, seven. Why don't you do it? And I kind of looked at him like, Hmm. <laughs> okay, I thought in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> She's going to kill me. I'm like, ah, it, it, it's an awesome idea. And he said, he goes, you know what? I'll give you the money to start it. Pick something. I said, what if I was to raise $100,000 for all the Hoyt chapters in the United States in North America? And he said, I love it. Let's do it. And he was hooked. He was excited. He smiled. Kathy was excited. And I knew I, I, I can't turn around at this. Um, I said, I got to go home and talk to my wife about this. But if it's something we can do, I, I'd love to. And that's really the idea that, that where it started from. That's nuts. So what was the training like to get ready for that? Because it must have been crazy because you can't train for the cold in Antarctica, you know? And you can't... In Antarctica. I mean, no one, it's very few people actually step foot on Antarctica, never mind run a marathon on Antarctica. Yeah. So, so prior to this, uh, I'd taken part in, I think it was 18 marathons total, uh, over 20 half marathons, eight Ironman triathlons. So I was, I was physically what I thought ready. Um, I was very fortunate. I'll say this, that COVID hit right after I signed up about a month after I signed up. So it delayed the race four or five times, pushed it out three years. So three years of training. Um, I went through many different training programs, help from all different runners, anything I could find. Um, it, it wasn't regular training. Um, Dave McGilvery, the Boston Marathon director, gave me the best tip that helped me so much was get ready to run laps. And I looked at him like, well, what do you mean? It's, it's marathons, laps. He goes, just 
take it as I say it, run laps. And I'm like, so go to the track. He goes, go to the track and run a marathon. I'm like, Dave, I'm not going to run a marathon on a track. And looked at me, he goes, well, you ran the Fenway Park Marathon. We did 118 laps around Fenway Park. You can do this. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. So I got used to just going to the track and running or finding a mile loop and running it. And that was the best plan that I took in training um, just to, to, to get out whenever I could. Um, for me with my work schedule, I'm out running when I was training 1 a.m., midnight uh i'd be out till 3 three thirty in the morning come home and that was my training plan um i've always promised my wife that i would never put running or any endurance event into our family takeaway family time things of that so it's i'd still see my son and see my wife before i go into work in the morning go to work and then run at night that was my thing so it was just no kind of every every month would be something new just created as i went along and uh the biggest thing was the the mental strength is what i knew i needed was the mental strength so when you were running at like 1 a.m., 3 a.m., where exactly were you running for the training? So I'd run right here in Belchertown. Uh, I'd go right around where the police department is. It's nice. It's uh, just over a mile loop. And so I'd go out there and do it. It's not well lit. Uh, and I've been yelled at a couple of times for not putting any reflective gear on. <laughs> That's what I, I was thinking. throw a, my, my work sweatshirt on, throw a hat on. Just I, 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 Yeah, I just could do that. Uh, the track, the lights turn off at 11 in the parking lots around there. So as long as I got out before then, uh, I'd go and run around the school. Um, just places like that in town, just close close by. Um, but those were my main training spots that I would always go to. Well, besides uh, COVID, was there any other setbacks you had to worry about? So everything was going... I've. Everything was going great. I've never had any running injuries, knock on wood, until three months before the race. Oh. So training was going amazing. I was right on par, and I decided to do a last warm-up race down in Connecticut. It was uh, point-to-point um, in southern Connecticut, and it was on a dirt trail, pack trail. And so they bust us out. We got on the trail, and about mile eight, I noticed a, a pain in my calf that was just different. It was deep. I, I didn't know what it was. Things were going good. Um, the pain got a little little worse. At about mile 15, we did a quick mile out and back off the trail. And when I got back on the trail, the pain got worse. I hit mile 20. My calf seized. I heard a pop. I walked the next six miles. Um, what was new to me was that I parked right by the finish line. Um, and so as I came up, I was my time was awful. I was mad. I was in so much pain. I just walked over to my car. I went to get my car. They walked over the metal. Aren't you going to finish? I told them, no, no, I'm in pain. I got to go home. Something's not right. So I went home. Uh, I had trouble walking for about two weeks. I finally went to the doctor. Uh, they sent me to a physical therapist. I walked in. We did one exercise and like, you tore your calf. And so I'm like, Okay, Uh-oh. so oh, tearing a calf. It's the middle of October. We leave at the end of January. How how am I going to do this? This this is not good. So, I didn't run all of the rest of October. Nothing in November. I did five miles in December, and I ended up doing two hundred and fifty miles in January to be ready. Wow. Um, and so that was a setback that hit me. Uh, it did it. It changed the way I ran doing the 777 um, a lot off pace from what I was at, but I had to do what my body was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fine. I, it's, I wasn't out there to win because I wasn't going to win. There was no way. The biggest thing is Dick always said he never came in last. That was my thing. Just don't come yep, last. Yep, don't didn't. come in last. And I was going to finish every race, whether they're pulling me off the course or telling me I have to quit. I don't, I don't care. You're not, you're not telling me I'm not finishing. I'm finishing. That's so awesome. Yeah. So. Well, we have something in common because I, I too, tore my calf muscle. But what were you – I mean, uh, you weren't yeah. training for marathons, John. What were I, you doing? <laughs> it was a first-time thing in a long time. I, uh, by the <laughs> way, I, I both both of my calf muscles um, in separate incidents uh, 
two years apart, both on vacation, both playing football barefoot. So I'm playing football. Of course, I'm 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 old now, and you know I I feel like I'm young again. And, and oh, he admits in, it, Steve. In, in See how he always makes a podcast about him every episode. No, 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 no. <laughs> Be- because of just sharing something in common here mm. and the calf muscle. I mean, it is grueling to tear the muscle. The pain is, and as you walk, it's just ridiculous. And the and the recovery. He kept going. The recovery. No, I know. Yeah, no. I need sat down. No, I needed. I needed to like guys, get, call the I needed to get carried off <laughs> of the field. It was. Uh, it, this was it, a vertical it, tear. It was on and out vertical. But but the recovery and the physical therapy that happened afterwards was uh, a long time before it felt any anywhere near normal. So was that the same way with you as far as how long it took to recover from the tear? The physical therapy was great. Um, I loved the end of physical therapy. It was well, the forty-five minutes of it were grueling. It was hell, and then the last fifteen minutes when they did deep tissue massage was amazing. Right, it would feel good for you know a day or two, and then it would go right back to the pain. I did everything from calf wraps to KT tape to you name it, trying to make it better. Um, peptide shots from a doctor, which I, I think helped a little bit, but it was just something I had to give it time. And thankfully enough, come January, <laughs> it, it came around. It came. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. It was still painful at first, but it got better. Um, the KT tape did amazing. Yep. Um, and then it was just a wish and a prayer that it wasn't going to fall apart on me when I was oh, over there. Uh, imagine that. That's, yeah. it, it was, it was, that was in the back of my mind the whole time, just saying, oh, God, it right. could just be one step and something goes yeah. wrong or you'll feel something. That pop. And then, you'll feel that pop. And then I'm screwed, but we'll figure it out if it happens. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. That's like, it. Yeah. So where exactly was the route? Or route, depending. I don't know. We're down in Belcher Town, so you might say it different. No, but what was it? Where'd you start? Where'd you go? Where did it end? And what kind of culture? Did you get to see anything, or is it just like jump on a plane and go? And how'd you how'd you do one day each one? It just it amazes me. I don't know how you can do it. So we we were set up to meet in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, it took me roughly about eighteen hours to get down there. Um, everybody else flew different routes coming from all over the world. Cause it was people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we flew to Cape town. We were down there for a couple of days. Um, Cape town is absolutely beautiful. Um, the sea point promenade is where we were right on the water. Um, very, very nice down there. Just getting a, a chance for two days to go around and sightsee. Um, oh, nice. we went down and saw the penguins. <laughs> I bought my son a, a stuffed animal penguin that he loves cause he's obsessed with penguins. It was just, it was great just seeing and traveling down around there to see the difference of it. Um, I thought at first we'd get the chance to experience more when we traveled, but things quickly diverted from our trip of going south. Um, we were told at the race meeting two days prior, get rid of being in control of anything, because as of our director, Richard Donovan from Ireland said, he goes, as of now, you control nothing. Mm. And we kind of looked around, we're like, what's he talking about? He doesn't know what he talks about. And a couple of the people who have done it before, a couple of the runners are like, no, trust me, we don't control a thing. And we're like, oh God, what does this mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that, that was our meeting point and that was going to be our location of our second marathon. So it was Antarctica. We would go back to Cape Town, South Africa, Perth, Australia, Dubai, um, Madrid in Spain, Fortaleza, Brazil, and then Miami we'd end at. But a couple of those locations and the routes and the schedule of dates and times all changed. Oh, that's, all changed. that's nuts. So was there any, what was the hardest leg? of that journey for you to run at? Cause you gotta be exhausted at the end. I know at the end is exhaustion, but was there anything like sooner that you had to really worry about? So one of the things we had an issue with at first and we didn't realize this was the stomach bug was going around between the 50 runners, yeah. uh, 50, 50 of us. It's always that one, right? 
Uh, so we, we don't know where it could have came from drinking the water in Cape Town, it, whatever it was, someone, I'd say 80% of us experienced it at least one of the races. Um, so the hardest I would say would be the, would have been Antarctica being the hardest physically and then kind of having the most energy endorphins. If Antarctica was anywhere else along the route that, I mean, that would have been it would kill it, huh? Yes. Yeah. Um, so Antarctica was tough just being so cold. Um, we got, we started 18 hours earlier than what we planned on because terrible weather was moving in. Um, we got there. They said we would start the race soon. We were standing in, or we were in our, the men's, I'll call it the cargo cooler. I don't know. It's like one of those cargo, the cargo ships that have like the steel cool um, containers on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah, the, the shipping container. That's yeah, the literally shipping. like what we were in. Sure. Um, so oh. men had one, women's had their other. We had a, a mess hall, um, bathrooms in another one. And so we were there for about an hour waiting and we're looking outside and the weather's getting worse. It's getting worse. And so we finally get out. We take like a hundred yard trek over to the start line and director tells us, he's like, Hey, the, the race has changed. We're going to do 12 laps. It's going to be the runway. We have orange flags to mark yourself. Um, and that, that's what we're going to do. So we said, okay, all right, let's start. So we started first two laps are great. And then it was just the wind. Oh. One direction was 50 mile an hour winds. You turn around and it's at your back and it's completely different. Um, so one way you're like, Oh, it's not so cold. Kind of, kind of staying good. You turn around at the, the bamboo pole at the turnaround. As you're looking out, it's just white. There's nothing you turn. It was like literally just having a wall of wind in your face and you just feel now, Oh my God, my back's frozen. Yep. Everything froze up. So it was <sighs> run one way, try to jog, run the next, um, by myself, uh, Kelly from Florida, Justin from New Jersey. We worked together for two laps of kind of drafting off each other. One would run for a minute. We'd switch. The next would be in front. And so we'd try to draft. Um, <laughs> things changed quickly because just everybody's race changed at that point. Um, so that that was the the physically, I'd say, the hardest. Um, but just the emotions of it were, were so different um, throughout doing all these races, the biggest thing was I was doing this for the Hoyts. This wasn't about me. Um, I had no desire in any way, shape or form for me to do this for me. So a lot of the time it was me to reflect on what I'm grateful for, for what the Hoyts have done for me. So a lot, um, on the lap specifically in our, in Antarctica, every lap was different because the snow and the wind was blowing. So I remember it was, I think it was halfway through lap six or seven. And I remember I'm looking around, I'm like, the clouds aren't leaving. <laughs> it's so dark out here. It's so cold. It's so windy. But yet the sun's still peeking through, but I'm like, can, can this just get easier, please? And I looked up at the sky. I'm like, Dick, just give us something. <laughs> and next lap I turn, I look up and it's like the sun's out, but I'm like, it's still freaking cold. It's still 50 mile an hour winds out here. It's nothing's changed. And it was just something that it just made me laugh. It was like, well, Dick gave it's me something. something. I got to laugh at it. Right. Um, and I remember I finished and I crossed the finish line and I, and I the race director was like, you did great. How, how do you like it? And I said, I'm never coming back here. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, never. And I'm like, I will never come back to Antarctica. Never no. again. How, Taking how the cold? Russian military jet to to Antarctica. It, it's just, it was a eye-opening experience. You said it was cold, but how cold was it? As far as the temperature there, I, it, there's rumors that it got down to negative 13 Ooh. to negative 20 wind chill. Um, so we you don't get all really... those clothes on, and you're trying to run with all the clothes on. And... Well, I, all of us had different ideas. Like we showed up with a backpack or a, a suitcase of just clothes for Antarctica because that's all we could bring there. And so we're talking in like the the, the container, we're like, what are you guys wearing? What are what am I wearing? What are you wearing? So everybody had different ideas. I was originally starting off with just like running pants pair of spandex underneath it for the lower half and then like a long sleeve t-shirt and a jacket and we just saw the wind picking up we're like this sucks i went to the bathroom i came back i'm like hell no i'm throwing snow pants on i'm throwing two more shirts on i'm putting two pairs of gloves on 
And I, I like being out in the cold. I sweat when I run when it's 50 degrees out. So mm-hmm. it wasn't bad, but it was just, it was just a different cold. Uncomfortable. It was just, yeah. It, yeah, it was just down to the bones, cold. Stiffened you up. Yeah, it was just, it was, but it was just the experience of saying, you know, this Tough is Tough to Antarctica. breathe too, I'm assuming. It, it, it wasn't. No. Surprisingly, it wasn't. It huh. was different air and it, it was just, it was just knowing this is Antarctica. I'm never coming back. I'm never going to run here again. This is a one in a billion chance to be here. <laughs> right. Like I, I'm, I get to represent team Hoyt here. Like hell, this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, now we talk a lot about what, is there a team that you go down there with or is this like, how do you, like, so organization it, part of it, is it? It's, it's the, so the world marathon challenge is run by Richard Donovan. He hosts and directs it. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy people have to sign up for it. Um, people can sign up to do a 10 K half marathon, full marathon, um, I'd say majority of us were there to do the full marathon, but there was others that were down there doing the half and the 10 K. Um, there was two younger boys doing it with their mothers, um, yep. 13 years old doing the half marathon with them. Oh. Um, so it's just crazy people who decide to think this is going to be fun. Um, the, the biggest thing with all of these runners, we all have different stories of why we we're down there. Some were for charity, some were for repaying their father, uh, for an impact he made on their life. Um, professional runners that were down there. David, the professional runner from New York City, amazing. Um, it, it's just everybody had different reasons and different causes of why they were there. So that's what really brought us together. Um, all of us were there to do it to finish. So it wasn't a, a one-person competition of being like, I'm going to beat that person. Good luck to them. I hope they finish. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if if individuals ran faster, finished before us, they'd come out to cheer us on. They'd be there to help. You'd hand off goos and food to other runners if they needed something. You'd give them water. Um, South Africa, Kelly, who's from Massachusetts, was really struggling with heat exhaustion. And she's telling me, can you get medical? I need medical. I mean, she climbed underneath a, a bench to try to get in the shade. So it was, we were there for each other. It wasn't an individual thing. So it's a lot of people say, oh, running is an individual sport. It, it's absolutely not. It takes a family. It takes a team just to train for something like this. And it takes the same as well um, with Richard putting this together. The towns where we were running, the people who were the the ambassadors when we got to these sites were amazing as well, making it such a great event. Um, cause you can't really go take over, uh, uh, Nova Antarctica, <laughs> a, a, a science, a science Nova. lab just to go and run. That's it's crazy, not something man. that's a normal, normal feat. That's all. So <clears throat> speaking of the family, now what happens, you wait to the last person crosses the finish line, you jump on a jet and you go to your next stop. Is there a little layover? What happens? Cause it seems like you don't have much time to make it to the next continent if you want to do it in seven days you know so what richard told us is everybody will finish um the original plan when we met we had two days prior to when we were going to fly out we were supposed to fly out um i can't even think of the day. i think it was february 1st in the morning is when we were gonna fly out um we ended up leaving the 31st at night so that diverted giving us all right so it's 18 extra hours on top of when our goal was to finish so what we thought it was going to give us more hours. So we got into Antarctica. The weather was bad. That's why we got there early. The weather got worse. So unfortunately, he had to pull anybody who was over six and a half hours off the course um, just because we had to get out of there. If we weren't going to, we were going to be stuck there for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Um, Being in that container for a couple of days, I think would have killed me. So thank God we got out of there. Um, And this is when people came down with the stomach bug, me included. So we got back to and we got back to Cape Town. We landed at midnight. We were set to run at 10 a.m. The race started great. Um, for some of us who were sick, throwing up on the course, other people who couldn't keep food down, being myself, uh, we finished and we were told, okay, tonight we're going to leave. Around noon, 
um, or a little after that, things changed. Uh, we got an email stating that uh, we're delayed. We're going to be here probably the whole day. We're not going to fly out till tomorrow morning. Um, so there was issues with our plane coming in, coming out, government type stuff that our director, unfortunately, there's nothing he could do in his power. So that changed everything. That changed our time on each continent now. So what could have been, let's say, 12 or 13 hours now is down to eight hours. So everything was in a time crunch. It was from that point on, when we got on the flight to go to Australia, it was run, change, sometimes shower, get on the bus, go check check in customs, get on your plane, and just sleep and repeat. And it was just a go, 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 go to the point of, I think it came down to our last three were three marathons in in less than two days. Mm, crazy. So. And you talked about the Russian jet as you were flying. <laughs> like, what, what's that? What's the uh, meaning of the Russian? Well, like, why did that Russian jet get involved in the in the whole thing? So that was a, a big thing that raised a lot of concerns. A lot of people, including my family. Um, <laughs> that's when a lot of things yeah. changed in our world at that time sure. um, with Russia. And so it was an Ilyish 76, I believe is what it's called. Uh, the airplane, and it was uh, it was a company through um, South Africa that was the ones that took us in. Um, so we had to get the plane just for ourselves to get on it, to go in, to fly, and then turn around and come back. So it was Russian pilots that did take us on that. Um, he's been using that for years, hosting the event, um, but that's the the way in. It's not something you can just book a, hey, I'll take a Southwest or a Delta exactly. flight in and land yeah. on the airport, because <laughs> um, this was not a regular airport. There's no watchtower. There's <laughs> no lines on the runway. It's just orange flags waving in the wind. Right. Um, so it was it was different. It was the way I describe it, it was seats taken out of another airplane, probably just a leftover airplane, bolted to the floor with three sandy three was it four? I think four sandy cans in the back by the big tailgate that drops, and those are the bathrooms. Wow. Um That's how they emptied them. Yeah, pretty much, probably. It was probably when we were running, they probably just went out back, emptied them, bolted them back down. Yep. But it was six hours in, six hours out. It was the loudest airplane I've ever been on. They said, put noise can or noise canceling headphones on. I just put my headphones on and slept pretty much the whole way there. Um, the way back was a little different. It was, they had food for us, which was great. Um, the staff on the plane was great. Um, no windows. So I think that would have been awesome just looking out and like, oh, yeah, crap, landing be- in Antarctica. But it was no windows. So you really didn't know when you landed. Um, you kind of just knew when the plane came to the stop, like, all right, we know we're landing, but oh, we're technically down. This is great. <laughs> no windows. So was, no announcements, nothing, huh? No, it was just, it was great though when they opened the door and everybody got kind of their own minute to to exit and just take it in being like, holy crap, this is in Antarctica. But yep. it was a little scary knowing that you're on, you're on that, that plane. All right. Must've been. So there was no sightseeing. There was too much of a time crunch. Now when everything comes to an end, you're finishing off. What are the emotions going on? Were you pumped up and now your time's increasing a little bit or are you just totally exhausted and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to crawl? So there was a, a lot went into effect, I'd say for the last three marathons. So um, our, our our third of last, we went to uh, Madrid and we were supposed to run on the IndyCar course, which I, I was neat. very excited yeah. for. Yeah. Right. Problem is, we're now a day behind schedule of what we're supposed to be. So they have to find a new location. So they find this <sighs> little town, Tor Laguna. We're like 2,400 feet above elevation. It's beautiful views of snow on mountains. And we're in this little town. So we, we show up and we ask Richard, what are we doing? And he goes, it's going to be 33 laps. And we're like, are you serious? And people start laughing. We're like, all right, so it's 10 or 12, right? Dubai, we just did 22 in Dubai. So, you know, it could be 33. It ended up being 33 laps. It's like a hill up, hill down around a circle and back. And it was 33 times. And so my body took a beating there, just being in the hills. A lot of people did. And at that point, my body really hit the low of, 
all right, I, I thought I was taking enough calories, but I wasn't. Um, and that was kind of the downhill into Brazil. Brazil was hell um, of just, I, I honestly, I remember about half of it. Hmm. Um, I was just so just mentally depleted at that point of just tired and no calories. Um, so I took in a lot of calories in Brazil to kind of speed things up. Um, my time in Brazil was terrible. And so Miami, I wanted to go into and finish well. And so we went into Miami. Uh, we were set to, I think, land around like five o'clock. We had issues at the airport. All kinds of things happened again. Go couldn't figure. be even better. Oh, all kinds of things. Computers shut down magically <laughs> for customs. So uh, that delayed us uh, a long time. We ended up landing in Miami and that we were told we're going to go through the airport. Let's go through it as quick as we can, get to the buses. It'll be two buses, get on the buses, and we're going to get to the air. We're going to get to the, the site of it. We are about like, I don't know, a couple miles out and we're told, get your race gear on now, get it on, get ready. You got five minutes when we pull into that parking lot at the beginning of South Beach. I think it's Fifth Ave. That's crazy. When you get to Fifth Ave, get out, put your bag down, say hi to family, quick, get to the start line. Five minutes felt like two minutes. Uh, My father-in-law was there. I had other family members there there to surprise me, which was great. And before I knew it, it was, we're starting in a minute. So the the energy of it was, holy crap, this is just too quick. Um, There was a lot that took place in Miami of just kind of going through and reviewing of everything that happened. It was uh, six laps, am I correct? Six laps, five laps in Miami, um, down South Beach. It was nice. I like running at night. I think it's just more peaceful. Um, and South Beach during the day would just be crazy with people, which mm. would have been which would have been nice. But the heat too, I was like, you know what? We've dealt with enough heat. We've dealt with 100 degrees, almost 100 degrees in Australia, um, you know, with the cold down in Antarctica. All right, we'll take nighttime for the end. So we're running the lap. And each lap, I devoted it to, to connecting with something along my journey. So the first lap was really about my wife and my son. Um, the next was about my family, like my father and the impact that my parents have had on me. Um, the next was really just about everything that I've taken in along this journey that I've learned through what I've taken in, what I've learned that really what I'm capable of. Um, the fourth lap, I really started to connect with, um, Dick and Rick, cause obviously that's what it was about. It was about them. And then the last thing, it was just really connecting of my why of why am I really doing this? Um, spreading their message to inspire other people that to give them the knowledge to know that it doesn't matter if it's going out and running a marathon or taking part in a 5k or going out for a job that might seem too far of a reach or anything in life. Just take that step forward. Go for it. Don't ever let someone tell you you can't do something. Don't, don't let them tell you you're not able to do something. Um, cause throughout my journey that, that happened numerous times after my brain injury of sports aren't for you. This, this isn't going to happen. Well, well, I never thought I could do this. Look what I'm doing now. Um, so it was a time just to reflect on, on everything as a whole. Um, the last lap to me was really emotional. Um, there was no one, kind of at that point, everybody spaced out with the five laps. It's dark. So even if someone's a hundred yards in front of you, you kind of felt alone, which I liked. So it was a time just to, to gather everything together. Um, I told my family and I told, um, Russ Hoyt, who was down there, which was, which was incredible for him to be down there in Miami as well. Him and his wife were down there. And so I told them, I'm going to finish at five hours. I'll be done at five hours. The problem with South Beach at midnight, everything shuts down, including the bathrooms. So (laughs) everybody got to enjoy going to the bathroom on South Beach, me included. So I finished in five hours and three minutes. I'm going to say it would have been five hours if the bathroom was not needed or there was a bathroom. Would have been five hours. So just the when we sat down with the plan of doing all this, the idea would be that Dick would be down at the finish line. Unfortunately, Dick passed away prior to this. Um... 
So he was not able to be in Miami physically. He was there with me, running every mile, every step with me. Um, so he wasn't there to be physically there for me to for me to give him the finisher's medal because it was about him. But it was incredible having Russ and his wife holding the finishing tape when I got to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really meant the same having them down there as if it was Dick. Um, just the energy from them, the emotion from them, and then being able to to call Rick after finishing it and sending him a message um, of telling him that we did it, that we finished it. Cause it wasn't a me thing. It wasn't an I thing. It was a we thing. Um, so it was just, it was incredible. Um, I missed my flight. I was supposed to fly out at 7am being that I finished at 5am. I had to rebook a new flight. My father-in-law, we got on a new flight instead of flying to Hartford, flew to Boston. My goal was to get home like around one. I didn't make it home until like eight at night. It was just, just at some point, I want to travel to stop. It's been, I don't know, like eight, nine days, you know, 10 days at this point of just nonstop. So it was just, it was just nice getting home. Yeah, it was time, uh, I mean, right? It was, yeah. it was time. It was. That's, I'll tell you, that's something I'm pretty sure I'm never going to try. I'm pretty sure you two are never going to uh, yeah. try. I mean, the running uh, itself is like incredible, but then you're talking about, and you don't think about it. It's like, all right, it's having a marathon. Okay. But the travel logistics and yeah, the yeah. journey, the journey the, that you took, like you said it, the weather is going to change, you know, start time at one. So mentally you're like, all right, one, oh no, we got to start at, you know, 10, yeah, yeah, 11. Yeah. So now it's like changing everything. And that is incredible to be able to, 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 to do, get through the mental part of it, you know? But we do want to extend our condolences about Rick. I mean, it was sad. It was a sad thing. And I don't know if anybody, I don't know if it was coming, but I don't think anybody's seen it coming this quick. So, as the podcast, we want to reach out and say, you know, our condolences to you, the Hoyt family, of course. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for those guys, like you said, you wouldn't be in the spot you're at. So, I mean, in, in all honesty, I don't, I don't know if I'd be here if it wasn't for them. I, I don't. Um, Rick and I were talking the night, the night before he passed, uh, because they were in the, the planning process a week out from hosting, um, the team Hoyt race in Hopkinton. Mm. And so I was joking with him the night, the night before on Sunday, telling him, Hey Rick, I'm going to beat you tomorrow. It's like, nah, no, it's not going to happen this week. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to deflate your tires. So we were laughing and joking. Um, so it was just, it was, up. it was incredible. <laughs> it, it was incredibly unexpected, uh, to get the phone call from Russ the, the next day. It, it was, um, it was unexpected when Dick passed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it was in one way when we went and everybody took part in the race in Hopkinton. Um, it was one way to, I, I don't know if Rick planned it just so he could be there with his dad to celebrate it, to have everybody out there honoring both of them. Um, I, I, I personally think it, it meant more to the race, having it, it be in that, that way. Um, and it was just incredible seeing the turnout of people um, and just on a, on a completely different, different note of that a couple of days after he did pass i was fortunate enough to be allowed to or being asked and i'll say allowed um to be invited to go run uh in an event um that we got to take part in to run from hyannis to boston it was 100 mm-hmm. miles um we had a group of us that got to go down there um kelly who i ran in the world marathon challenge with becca uh who's taken part in it multiple times um, and then Zidane Chara was there as well, a bunch of us, and then active and present military were there as well. And we did it specifically for the, the flag ceremony at the Boston Commons. So just being invited to take part in that, having it be just a couple of days after Rick passed was kind of a nice closure, maybe. Yeah. A yeah. Bit. Becca yeah. and I talked about it. Um, 
Zidane Ochara ran in the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. for the Hoyts. So it was just a nice way to really talk about them and have everybody kind of just as like a this little small running community. Dave McGilvery was there at the end. I ran the last mile and a half with him talking about the Hoyts and what they did. And so that was just really nice and, and a nice experience and just everybody taking part in that. Um, and just our other teammates as well. Um, getting an introduction to the Hoyts of what we talked about was kind of cool too. Yeah. So it was, it was fun. I mean, you've talked a lot now about how Dick and Rick Hoyt inspired you. They changed your life and you owe them so much. I mean, you even have a tattoo on your arm <laughs> yep. of them. Yep. So clearly they had such an amazing impact on your life and, and you, you've talked about it. But like in the place that you were at in your life, when you talked about having the depression, the anxiety, and then the sort of spot you were in and then they almost single-handedly turned your life around. I mean, can you can you talk about like how that happened in, in for yourself as far as like what specifically did they do for you that made you say I'm going to change my life right now as a result of them? Mhm. So I feel it was in a couple steps. So the 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 first one to them was with their story. It was them talking about people who tried to put up walls and tell them you can't do things, you're not good enough, this isn't an option, no one's ever done this before, don't do it. Um so that was the first step to them of giving me the option of saying, "Okay, well, I can't play hockey again. What else am I going to do in my life of the point of what I was lost at? I couldn't play hockey. I'm 21 years old. That was my life. I don't know. I'm lost." So that's where I took the step to saying, hey, they, they went out and ran. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go do it. And so when I took part in it, I sucked at it. I wasn't finishing in the top. I wasn't finishing as a winner. And so that's one thing that changed with me was I like it when I struggle. Mm-hmm. So it gives me something to work for every single day. So if I take that day off, he's like, oh, I'll just take that run off today and I'll get back to it tomorrow. No, it's I'm now two steps behind. So it, it changed my mentality in that step. The second step was when I got the chance to actually be part of Team Hoyt. So I got the chance to uh, run and take part of pushing individuals and running to give them the opportunity to take part in races where once before Dick and Rick did this, no one allowed it, didn't accept it, didn't understand it. Um, So when I got the chance to do that, I became partners with a young girl named Jackie. We took part in uh, a lot of races together, and it opened my eyes to really what Dick and Rick felt together, the the motivation they had, the inspiration they had with each other, and then the meaning to running. And so that's where I, I found out, okay, this is why I like this. I, I like running because I'm doing this for somebody else, not for me. Um, Jack and he unfortunately passed away. Um, I haven't pushed anybody in a race besides my son once or twice. Um, but when Jackie passed, the next part of the Hoyts really changed me of seeing, and this is when my son was born, of my why. So why do I do things in life? Is it just for the hell of it? Is it just for to finish and get a medal? What is my why? And so my running and and with the World Marathon Challenge I took with me was Dick and Rick did this to change, in my opinion, the world. For me now, my why is if it's I can inspire anybody, maybe it's my son in a couple of years. I mean, he's only four, but maybe when he turns 10, 12, when he's 18, he goes, holy crap, my dad ran around the world if it's a stranger on the street, if it's somebody else who's dealing with something, if they, they just feel they can't strive for something. Um, so they, they changed me in so many different ways and it continually happens. Um, the last time, unfortunately, that I, I got to see Rick and Russ was at a, a Bruins game where I gave Rick uh, the gold medal of the World Marathon Challenge. Um, we got to do it during, uh, it was during the second period. We got a chance to meet Tuka Rass. Bob Sweeney was there helping us along the this way. This is the one area? Yep, that's yep. the one. So, 
it, it was kind of, it, it's more or less like with the Hoyts, I feel it's kind of like a book. There's, there's just chapters throughout it that I constantly learn from it. Um, things that I learned from them still, even to this day, um, it, it's, it's just incredible what they did. And I, I really wish, and I've, I've said this to a lot of people, I really wish of what I always say it's, they, they sparked a light in me. I just don't know what it is and I want to find that. But then in, in life, sometimes it's better if you don't know the why mm. you don't, you can't find out what, just that reason. So it just keeps me to keep you, pushing forward to maybe, Hey, do something it. else. And I'll you, find you know what happened. And that's all that's important. Yeah. I'm a strong believer that everything in this world does happen for a reason. So there was, there was a reason for the injury to happen. There's a reason I got the chance to run with Jackie. There's a reason I ran around the world for team Hoyt. There's, right. there's a reason everything. That's so. awesome. I mean, it's been a great episode. Uh, we want to go deeper in this, but I feel like you should be back on the podcast again, because I think there's a lot more stories. Yeah. So you guys got anything else you want to add about this episode? Well, I just I just want to say that obviously Dick and Roy, uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt meant so much to you. They inspired you, and and you now are taking that mantle, and you are inspiring others. And I hope anyone listening to this podcast is inspired by your story, what you have told about your struggle, and then accomplishing what you are accomplishing on a regular basis. That is incredible. Thank you for being on the podcast. This podcast is about showcasing people who never stop getting it. It's the motto of never stop getting it, and you embody that motto truly. So I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Your story is truly amazing. Thank you. I'm going to feel like a jerk, but I, I feel like you, you vindicated John's injury and how he feels better about himself. So. You know you don't feel like that. You're just being nice on the podcast. Come clean. He, he's going home with such a glow now. He's like, guys, did you hear that? He, he only had one. I had two. I, I still have the sunburn on my calf from, from the KT tape in, in Cape Town. So that's my way. I'm never going to forget the injury. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But, I, yeah, these these – these are for you guys. So this is the biggest thing for me. That's my motto. I, I love that. So the Hoyts, That's awesome. the Hoyts have theirs. If you, yes, yep. you can, which I have tattooed on me, but on the inside of my wrist. Die I have the, first, then quit. Yep. So that's that's the big thing. And that's I the message that I send Facebook out. Page. I send I that, that out to, to, if I can spread one thing to everybody, it's that that's what I agree on. It's don't give up. Don't quit. No matter what challenge it is, it's. That's awesome. It's just push forward. Is there anything the now that you're, that you, I, I, is there something in the near future that you're doing that you want to put out there? Yeah, I was going to ask him because I see a lot of books here. So there must be something you want to <laughs> talk about. <laughs> no, right now I'm actually on a break. I'm on a break for running. Um, my wife and I are expecting in December. Oh, no, congratulations. So I just, thank you. So I, you have an I'm, anniversary coming up too, right? Yes. All right. Yep, congratulations so. on that too. So it's, it's one of those things Maybe that I just, no, no, no. It's, uh, so it's, it's just one of those things. Like it's, I just, I, I've, I've wanted to do a couple of races, but I'm just literally taking it day by day. I'm just, I just want to take a year, literally a year off. And if I find a short race, I'll do it. But if not, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. All right, BJ. Again, thank you for being on a co- podcast. You. And I mean, such an inspirational story. And I mean, your story is still going to be out there to be told. So keep it up. And of course, you know, never stop getting, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Booyah. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Never Stop Getting It podcast. And join the community on Facebook. Never Stop Getting It and Twitter at Never Stop Getting It and of course, NeverStopGettingIt.com